Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we are discussing the relationship therapist and New York Times bestselling author Esther Perel. We discuss her thoughts on using love as an antidote to death, identification of relational roles, monogamy being the new frontier, the romantic model, and the things hiding in the annals of our subconscious. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So um, we are back to do another episode in our relationship series. But first, I have to say, in an act of true relational love, (laughs) we were recording and Daniel said, oh, time out, my friend, stop. And there was like a little booger hanging from my nose. (laughs) (laughs) So Daniel, help me out. Relational love, loyalty, relationship, working out. You got to you got to do that, though, man, you know, for people like you just can't let them walk around, look at chewed up. I don't know if it's like whatever it is. People have sometimes stuff in their teeth whatever. How do you how does that happen? Like I'll be at a party, you know, and you see somebody with just looking like they got dice in their mouth with so many like sesame seeds in their teeth. <laughs> I'm like, no one, says anything. no one says it. They're talking to people for 20 minutes. They walk over to you and I'm like, yo, what are you eating seaweed? I don't I don't know. You know, I'll do it with a stranger like somebody you barely know. Be like, OK, I want to give you a solid. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta yeah, do no. it. That's compassion, yeah, you, you know. It. <laughs> compassion. It's bodhisattva activity. There you go. Sitting there with like some shit hanging on my nose. It's yeah, not no. good. No. I'm trying to talk about serious stuff. <laughs> Let me talk about Shunyata. There's this big snot hanging. That's in right. Here. That's it's right. Not good. That's the universe right there. One, one. <laughs> universe and a single booger. That's right. Yeah, Dalai Lama's next book. Oh, Dalai Lama. Sorry, we're not going to talk about it. Oh, that. yeah. Sorry. Everybody's upset. Um, that's a separate episode we're going to do later on. Yeah. All right. So, but we got to keep on focus here. So, we wanted to do like a little bit of a, 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 a GNT tangent the way we sometimes do. Because what we realized is, you know, we we're talking about these psychologists. And we ended up talking about Esther Perel. And a lot of people love Esther Perel. Yeah. And it's like, let's do an episode that's a little bit Esther Perel. And she's kind of a perfect pivot figure in a way because she talks about so many things so bluntly honestly and we were doing things on what it means to kind of be a monogamous person and to kind of live in a you know kind of a long-term relationships and then we looked at kind of this idea of serial monogamy and she talks about all of that and then we're shifting you know in subsequent episodes to talk about people like Carl Jung and a little bit more polyamory type things Mm -hmm. and she's kind of a great person for this you know uh because she talks honestly about all these things so anyways, we thought we'd do an episode a little bit talking about who she is, if you're not familiar with her. It's interesting for me, I, I started hearing about her in like 2018. And I watched a lot of her things that she was talking about. 
actually in prepping my little part of this, I went back and watched some of those things again. And I always found her super interesting. And I would go on to campus, you know, I teach in grad school level, traditional Chinese medicine, and her name would pop up here and there. There'd be a student, typically one of the female students at the school would be like, yeah, I don't know if you have you heard of this Esther Perel? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and they'd be shocked <laughs> that I had heard of her mm -hmm. and knew something about her. And I thought, no, she's very, she's really interesting, actually. And I think a lot of the people I talked to who knew who, uh, who she uh, is were people who, you know, were more female students. But I realized, you know, for me, I think she speaks very well to a male audience or really any audience, you know. Yeah. No matter who you are, your sexual orientation and uh, gender identities and so on. I think she speaks really just about human relationship in a very honest way. And to my mind, what I also like, too, is she she's kind of radical, actually. I think in the books, she's a little bit more conservative sounding just because she's writing a book. And, you know, you're going to be maybe less fiery when you're in a book or something. Right. right. But uh, so you know, I made it through uh, Mating in Captivity, which is her first book it's really good i did tr i did try to start the state of affairs which is her second book you know both good titles and i found out in doing my prep that part of her uh, undergraduate degree was in french literature and so mm. just, she does have like a great turn of phrase you know uh she's very uh nice little pithy quotes you know that are really good um so anyways, but the second book, probably I didn't have as much of an interest in or something. It wasn't as, as actually interested, but I have read her books and, you know, a little bit, maybe, you know, written a little bit more conservatively, maybe just because she's writing for a general audience. And again, you don't want to be like full on fire all the time. But when you actually listen to her talk, she's actually quite bold in all the things that she says. And she's pretty fiery and it's, she's kind of, yeah, she's bold and a little controversial in the things she says. So anyways. That's my personal impression of her. I don't think you'd heard of her until we started doing these episodes, right, Daniel? No. Okay. Well, we'll go through. I'm going to throw out some of her ideas, and I thought it would be, you know, once we do a little background on her, we can go through and then look at, like, some of her ideas, and we'll sure. give our reaction. And it's sure. cool. So um, the thing that I didn't know is she's born in 1958 to Holocaust survivors. Mm. So she's originally from Antwerp, Antwerp Belgium, and um, her family – uh, were you know literally holocaust survivors and she says something really again in the way she's poetical she said that her experience growing up with then was like kind of two groups of people within this community there were those who did not die and there were those who came back to life and she saw those as two separate groups of people you know mm. so kind of a powerful experience growing up you know seeing the people who maybe made it through but they could never like bring themselves back again you know Versus the people who seem like they were able to kind of bring themselves back <clears throat> to something more like life. And um, from the little bit of research I did on this, and again, I couldn't do a super deep dive in this during the week. But, you know, uh, she really seems to like talk about the idea of like love, relationship, eroticism is kind of an antidote to death. It's the thing that makes you feel alive or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought well, that's kind of a profound way to put that. And I, you know, we decided we were going to cover other people and we'll talk about some of our own experiences later on. But, you know, I, I feel like I've had that experience, you know, that you sort of need to have that part of you. I was talking with a patient yesterday, Daniel, someone I know really well. And I was like, you know, you need to have something that you're striving for. You need to have things that drive you forward. You know, mm -hmm. we're talking pre-episode about like creativity. Yeah. 
So, you know, these kinds of things that make, make you keep wanting to go forward in life, right? Whether it's love or eroticism or creativity, it's something that's that drive, right? That force that kind of brings you back to life. So mm. anyways, it's kind of cool that she talked that way to my ears. Like I get what she's saying there. Mm -hmm. and, okay. So like we said, her background was educational psychology and French literature. And again, you could, you could hear the literary quality and how she speaks and how she writes. I also thought a little bit about French literature because it has a lot of stuff about sex and relationships and it just naturally like that. So it makes sense to me that, you know, if you think about that part of, I guess, as a young Esther Perel, what she was trying to do when I was just looking at kind of her backstory, she then went on and trained in what you call psychodynamic psychotherapy, which is kind of Freud stuff. Mm. So she's coming from the Freudian take and the idea of like repression and bringing the unconscious conscious and all the stuff we talked about in our episodes too. So I was like, yeah, I think I do hear that in how she talks about things. And there's kind of a, a blunt honesty in that point of view which mm. I think we tried to get across in our episodes too. Let's look realistically at things. Right. You know, let's not just look at something through kind of an artificial idealism or something. Let's be real about it. Look at its positive, look at its, look at its, look at its negatives. And so I think that does come across to me and her. Um, but then it looks like her next move was to go in this thing called family systems therapy, which I also thought was interesting. I didn't know she had that in her background. I don't know a lot about it, but you know, the basic idea is pretty easy to understand in this FST or family systems therapy, which is, you know, kind of working with the family as a unit and trying to kind of look at the dysfunctions in the family, but especially this idea that within any group of people, probably in any two person relationship, but groups of people too, there are kind of these invisible unconscious rules within that unit, right? No one ever really maybe says them out loud, but they're kind of there and an outside observer could start to see them, right? And that a person could go through and then almost I guess the idea even make like a little diagram that would show, oh, this is how this thing works. Right. This person, this role they're doing, this this one's over here. So um, I thought that's pretty interesting, and I, I guess it makes a sense sense to me as a trans as a, as a transition because it's going from kind of uh, the unconscious within a person to the unconscious within like a group of people, maybe mm. you know. And one of the psychologists I liked growing up was this guy named Artie Lang. And he had a lot of stuff on that where he would try to write. He didn't do exactly this, but something similar, not this family systems therapy, as far as I know, but something kind of similar where he would like kind of try to write the invisible rules that people either carry in themselves or carry between each other, you know? So that's really interesting. And um, she had a lot, when you listen to her now, you definitely get the feeling that she has a really deep sense of like roles within relationships relationships roles within a family and how people get themselves into the different roles and that's always really spoken to me and i think that's something i think i'm trying to bring a little bit to these episodes we're doing here to just recognize okay what's the role and mm. how does it affect you you know and um and whether that's in a family or in like your relationship with another person or something like that i mean that's just an important thing to kind of see okay just to cap off on the rest of this i think a lot of her work originally was cross-cultural and you could hear that too when you listen to her, because she'll talk about like, yo, in Europe, it's like this. In America, it's more like this. Cultures are different. They have their own ideas of what the rules and the roles and the relationships are between people. They're not all the same. We're going to do some episodes on this going forward because it's kind of an important subject matter of what we're trying to do here. And um, so I hear that in her, too. I hear that thing of like she recognizes that. And, you know, when you listen to her, actually. I guess it's in the books too, probably. But when you listen to her talk, you can really hear it. She's like, oh yeah, when I'm in Europe, people are more, they think like this. They don't think the same. 
you know, you could hear the mm-hmm. cultural mm-hmm. differences, right? So ultimately, then she's living in NYC. Uh, and um, so she's married with a couple of kids. Not a lot about her personal life. I don't think she talks about that exactly so much. She just says, okay, you know, I got my own personal life. She's not necessarily thinking a lot about that. But she did something really interesting that I really related to where she said one of her goals was to save her kids from the American system. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I've talked about that in the podcast, too. I relate to that, too. You know, like I have a little bit more probably between the two of us more that like idea of emotional plague. You know, I worry about it, I think, more than you do on some level, though we both have our concerns about it. And I well, I think having kids in your mouth or something, you know, but uh-huh. yeah, but having children give, you know, puts a different responsibility on on you to try and fight off the sort of infringements, you know, that society inevitably will bring. And you, you know, you, we, we, we firmly believe that, but you can affect it with people directly on a daily basis. So you're going to carry that, I think a little bit more, not heavy in yeah, a sense. Probably, that like yeah. It's yeah. With kids, it becomes a, it's a, it's an ongoing question. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. And so you want to help, you know, assist people with their, you know, sort of reprogramming, if you will. And you got to start within the home. If you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like that's just sort of a natural kind of occurrence if you want to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, with the birth of my daughter, the first of my two kids, I definitely had the thought of like, okay, I'm going to try to raise, uh, I'm going to try to raise a girl in this culture, right? And try to have her be protected and healthy. Like I had that thought from mm-hmm. the very beginning. And we've talked a little bit about this in the episodes where I was like, like she and I had arguments <laughs> about this where I was like, I'm going to save you from this emotional plague. And she was like, stop trying to save me from this emotional plague. Even though I might, I might not have used that exact phrase. But in the end, yeah, I think she is grateful for it. So, all right. Anyways, that's Esther Perel. You were trying to give her the vaccine, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the Anthony Fauci of this thing. It's not <laughs> <laughs> You were the Fauci. That would have sounded cool in 2020. Yeah. You were, yeah. Back in 2020, everyone was making, like in a local bakery near us, they were making like Fauci cupcakes. and Yeah. You know, the Fauci smoothie that you get. Now he goes through and shakes down local hospitals for, uh, you know, for protection money, right? <laughs> yeah, it, has, it hasn't aged well. Yeah. It hasn't aged <laughs> Oh, well, if you have those old Fauci cupcake little uh, doilies still hanging around. Yeah, it's all, there'll be collector's <laughs> item one day. Items. <laughs> oh, well. Things maybe haven't gone perfect. Uh, we're humans we try our best swings and misses swings and misses that's it sometimes you just foul tip right into the catcher's mitt and yeah try again next time that's it it's a baseball reference for our international audience yeah sorry about that yeah uh, baseball no one knows how to play that game outside well i guess people do play in the world but not necessarily in denmark or something or whoever our listens are i don't know Okay, so in any case, well, let's get to what she says and we'll yeah. see what she thinks about this. So yeah. for the time we have and whatever we don't finish, I, Daniel has uh, teaching responsive, spiritual teaching responsibilities. So he'll have to bid adieu at a certain point, but we'll do what we can do. So, okay, so th- no obvious order in which to do this, but it does get to a lot of things we were talking about. So I'll give her opinion and we can kind of, you know, if it's stuff we already talked about, we can move along. But sure interesting okay so the first thing she says and i don't know if it's as blunt in the books but it is when you listen to her talk because she says okay monogamy is the new frontier is one of her phrases and what she means by that is that it hasn't always existed 
It was invented at some point in time. And this is the thing that people are kind of exploring and of, I guess, evolving. And we'll get to that kind of more as we go through her ideas. But she's pretty blunt when you get her, I think, and again, I don't know if she says this ever in the books again, but she says it's just not natural for human beings. So that doesn't mean it isn't possible for what she's saying. You can do it, you know, but she's saying it's just not a natural thing. It's something that you have to like make the choice to do and learn how to do. So we'll go go back to that maybe a little bit more as we go along. But in that case, she's a little bit similar to like <clears throat> kind of the Christopher Ryan sex at dawn kind of thing. You know, did you ever read that one, Daniel? No, I didn't. Are you familiar with him? No. Oh, do you know the book? No, I've heard of it. But heard, okay. <clears throat> yeah. He's been on like Joe Rogan, I think, talking about things and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. That Joe Rogan needs a plug from us. The reverse, Joe. The, the reverse. reverse. I gave you a plug. Plug it. Send, send some of back. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, gonna, um, we're, gonna plug, we're not going to plug Joe Rogan. We're going to pl plug Ro Jogan, which is another... <laughs> full podcast that probably has a lot still millions of people <laughs> just by accident <laughs> yeah um so anyway sex at dawn is just this idea of exploring you know this question you know uh you know are human beings intrinsically monogamous and the answer seems to be kind of like no and that <laughs> book's written more from sort of a research point of view and it's an interesting read maybe worthwhile of an episode later on you know we mm. can do so much time only so many things can stir into the cocktail of the GNT. Can't cover everything. Can't mm. swallow, swallow the Ganges in a single gulp. Um, <laughs> nor would you want to, probably. But um, you're looking for typhoid, maybe. You know, <laughs> you can't get every disease from that water. Yeah, sip. You have to go back again. Um, but anyway, so that's the idea of sex and sex at dawn. Read it. Good book. Interesting. For her, what's interesting to me is she's looking at this more from like a clinical point of view. Mm. As a clinician, I find that interesting. So she's coming to this conclusion not by looking at like studies and comparisons of like different primates and you know that kind of stuff, which is interesting. She's looking at more from like talking with people about their lives clinically and coming to the conclusion like, okay, you can do this. And if you decide to do it, good. You know, that's your decision that you make, but it's not necessarily a natural thing. It's a thing you have to kind of probably learn how to do and you have to mm -hmm. make a choice and so on. So anyways... You got any opinions on that? What do you think? No. We never really talked about this. Do you think of monogamy as natural or do you think of it as like, is that a question that you think about? I mean, I guess I've never really thought about it. Okay. I don't, yeah. because, and, and, you know, just off the top of my head, like, I don't know how, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know the research. On, I don't know what those research studies look like to, to be able to disprove or prove that that is or is not, you know? Okay, maybe maybe when you have a birthday, I'll 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 give you the gift of sex. <laughs> well, when, when, the, when book, the book, Daniel, when, the book. We don't want to like play the homoeroticism card. At first, I thought well, it was a contest. At first, I thought it was a gift. Then I thought it was a threat. You know, I wasn't sure. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! I told you it's coming. It's literally. <laughs> yeah, not that I didn't. Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. how many times can one play that same gag? We won't. We won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop. No. But anyway, so yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting book. I've sometimes given it as a gift to people. Mm. I might find this interesting, you know, uh, some people very close to my heart even. Um, because it is thought provoking, you know, that's more of the research side. But so to me, like on the clinical side, I thought, oh, that's interesting. She's not coming to this from what, you know, like Christopher Ryan is doing in a book like that. Actually, to be honest, his second book is really good too, Daniel. Civilized to Death. Mm. 
maybe that's the one I'll share with you for a, a birthday or a, uh, a Christmas gift or something. Valentine's Day has already passed. I went there yeah. again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself. All right. Anyways. Uh, okay. So um, Civilized to Death is really interesting because he really talks a lot about all the ways in which uh, what people consider to be modern civilized life is kind of toxic or destructive, actually, potentially. Mm. And a lot of stuff on how modern culture has tried to like eradicate psychedelics. He's really interested in that question too, because of the fear of expanding human consciousness. You don't, there's a fear of that. Yeah. Anyways. So he's, he's an interesting writer worthwhile, maybe talking about him at some other time worthwhile. Maybe trying to get him on the podcast. I'll reach out at some point. We've been meaning to have some of these guests on more, but all right. Hey man, if you bought a couple books, I think that at least gives us a few minutes. Two of your books and I've given it to at least three people. Come on guys. You got to make at least $2 off of that. books. <laughs> <laughs> I know Audible got 99.5% of it, but you yeah, know, yeah. Please got you a cup of coffee. So, um, okay. Uh, so then, you know, if this idea of this is kind of new and evolving, then she has a lot of stuff about divorce, which we did talk about in our serial monogamy episode. Yeah. Here's what she says. So, and again, she's pithy. So I'll share a couple of the quotes and we'll see if this inspires anything in us to say. So she says, um, a couple of things. She says, it used to be one person for life. Now it's one person at a time, mm. which is a big change. And I realized that, you know, in the episodes we've been doing, <clears throat> I'm like talking to my mom, you know, it was impossible for her to not think this way. And of course now it's really different. And that's a, obviously a massive cultural shift she brings right. out, you know? And then she says something like, it used to be until death do us part, but now it's until love dies. And hmm. then people will move, which is very different, obviously. So she kind of has these nice little pithy things about this, you know? Um, and then she talks, you know, again, pretty bluntly, honestly about this. Some of the stuff I looked at with her was an interview with Dan Savage, who's a Chicago local person who's kind of a famous person in the States for um used to write like a, a like a sex advice column now he does like sort of more like relationship advice so he and he's a gay male activist who was like kind of important in the gay marriage movement in the united states um but you know they talk she, you know she talks really honest and there's this whole idea that probably marriage historically was an imposition of property on women that women were probably like more like property mm. and it was hypocritical in the sense that a lot of the men probably wouldn't follow the dictates of um you know those rules the women would be much more strongly enforced on women than it would be on men so it was like a lopsided arrangement a lot of it was kind of financially arranged historically with the idea that marriages really probably weren't about love they were about things like status and property right and affairs would exist you know a relationship outside of that primary marriage relationship would exist and those were the things that were kind of about love you mm. know and there is this whole thing about like courtly love yeah you, know, you can see it where you know people would maybe have a you know like a marriage relationship that was more about the status and the property and those things and they'd be in love with someone else and they'd write songs about that person or something you know it wouldn't necessarily be about their partner because a lot of the marriage relationships were kind of more, again, practically driven or something. So right. she talks about that stuff. 
and again, in the way that you can only talk about a certain number of things in each episode is I was listening to this all kinds of, I was listening to her talk. I was listening to her interviews and all kinds of things were popping in my head about this. And uh, there are like, if you go back into India, there are some schools in India where they really talk about this idea and kind of a metaphor of even in spirituality, that in a certain sense, Krishna is your lover outside of, you know, mm -hmm. your partnership or something. So anyways, that's a whole big deal. I was looking to see if I could find the book where they really talk about that and they didn't have a chance to do it. But at some point, maybe that might be interesting for us and it would be a sideline now. Yeah. So it's stay on point, but it's interesting, you know? Uh, so what she says is <clears throat> one of the other big changes then is since now marriage is more about love, you know, for people, then the whole idea has changed in the idea then of adultery is now even more taboo because it hurts in a different way. It's not like, you know, uh, uh, something that's going to hurt. The, it's, if, it's a, if it's a marriage that's more about like uh, status and property and things, and those things don't hurt as much. That's right. I think is the point that she makes. Now, since the attitude is that you have more of a romantic model, and she uses this phrase, the romantic model, you know, which wasn't historically how it was. So again, she's pretty blunt, you know? Mm. And she says, you know, this is not an obviously entirely positive thing you know, um, though I don't think she says it's negative either. She's a very balanced person in this, but you know, she's feisty and she's willing to say things I think that are controversial. So she talks about this romantic model and this idea that it raises this question of like, whether it's a deficiency model or something, whether people feel like they're good enough or something. Mm. So there's this question of like, I am, am I the one for this person? Cause there's so much pressure to find like the one, mm. you know, people feel like they have to be that role for another person. And it creates a kind of, I guess, an insecurity, you know, am I good enough? Am I like holding this role? And if <clears throat> the person doesn't seem like they see you through that filter, then that's very threatening or something. Right. And people come from it from, a, I guess she makes the point that the people are coming at it from sort of like a place of like potential feeling of lack. Hmm. Or something. I know. What do you think about that? I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, this is, you know, I think if, if, you know, being honest, which we, which we try and be, um, yeah, I think I, 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 there's a lot of merit in it. I don't, I almost don't even want to talk about it because I feel like people will be upset, you know? But like, like so close to the bone, right? Yeah, it's very close to the bone, man. And like, it, look, there are some genuine relationships, you know, that are that are love driven and are great. And we always love to see people pictures of people in love and couples. And you know what I'm saying? Like we we like that that looks good. It feels good. It reminds us, you know, of of the moments when we've had those types of things. But those are fewer and further in between in this country. I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like when I go through Europe, I see a lot more people holding hands and stuff, you know, like I, I do feel like I, I see that, you know, whether that's just my own because I'm on vacation and people are on vacation. I don't know. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I also feel like looking for the one or what, you know, the one in, in air quotes, you know, is yeah. similar to like almost the ideology of uh, a single unified God in a sense. You know, and that yeah, this yeah, very like yeah yeah that this embody this is embodiment of that type of thing. It's like there's only one God, there's only one partner, and so when you're talking about like an Indian tradition of having, you know, maybe multiple partners or whatever, well that that goes along with their with their you know uh, multi theistic 
type of ideology, you know, that they're not going to just have a singular focus of their, you know, whatever religion, if you will, that, that it's spread around a little bit more and whatnot. And that could be then impl implemented into their, their partnerships, which doesn't make it such a, you know, singularity, like a rigid type structure. So while we're having this discussion, that just sort of jumps out first and foremost yeah, in my mind. No kidding. I've had the exact same thought. It's occurred to me like, wow, it's a monotheistic culture and it yeah. is sort of a monotheistic feeling for people. And I guess what she's saying then is that when she's doing her couples counseling work, then I, that's part of the pain for people. The fact that they feel like, oh my God, this is being shattered or something. Mm. This sense of like, you know, I, this more romantic ideal or something, you know, it's kind of like, the things that I wrote down was sort of this idea of a zero sum game too. Everything is like in, in this one idea, right? Like all your, all your chips are thrown into this. And if this breaks, then it's obviously, you know, I'm the opposite, man. Way. I have initiations into all different religions, bro. Like <laughs> I was baptized, yeah, like, like, <laughs> done Buddhist stuff. I've done like Islamic things. Like, you know, I've practiced some native American stuff. I'm like, listen, one of them might be right. So I'm going to go ahead and just put a this little bit. Is, this one's 30%, right? And this one has 20. And this one, I'm getting to 100%. Yeah, it's I'm adding it up. It's adding for sure, you know? And, and when the time comes, some spirit guide's going to come forward and help me get to the other side, you know? Now, whether that's an eagle or Yamantaka or Jesus or Muhammad, I, I don't think know. It's an eagle carrying a cross <clears throat> with Yamantaka horns and a heart on. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna come all that way with everything yeah, yeah that's right let's go you know lift me up i don't care i'm here like a little baby with my arms up but you know <laughs> ah. i kind of like joke about it on campus when i teach too because you, know, you can get purists in our world of traditional chinese medicine too, oh, of course I was like, no i'm like tcm slutty i'm not like one one thing no you know spiritually slutty um so, but yeah, so, and you know, again, she's pretty blunt about this. And she, and, and again, one of the things I was looking at, she used this phrase like this intense coupledom is a mysterious delusion to her. Mm. <laughs> you know, like why it's so deep on some level. Not that she's not describing why it's there, but she was, she's again, she's very interesting to listen to because she was sort of like shaking her get, head going, yeah, it still is a little bit mysterious as to why this is so deep, but obviously it's very, very deep. And then the problem that yeah. she's kind of pointing out is that there, this creates potentially a thing of like, I think these are her phrases, a lot of myths within between two people, right? And not like deliberate deceptions or anything like that, but I guess you'd say more like inauthenticities or something potentially, mm. right? I don't know if she used, she doesn't use that word, but that probably the word I would use. And it's <clears throat> potentially hard to keep that up all the time, you know? Mm always have <clears throat> that kind of quality of um always having to kind of be in this in this again it's kind of her, her family systems thing in this role or something you know it's kind of a hard gig to do on some level yeah i think i think the uh i'll take i'll take the counter argument would be that like if you are with somebody in that way that you're truly completely invested in them and them only then you should be able to be yourself unabashedly you know completely yeah, yeah, without yeah. hesitation so there there should be no need for anything other than what it is that you're seeing of course everyone's going to create stories i mean this is how we put life together but i mean like outside of normal mundane things interpersonal communication or or, or dynamics 
in taking the opposite side of this argument, just to make yeah, our yeah, discussion yeah. lively, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. would would they would I'm sure I, at least what I would say is that like well you're with this person completely totally 100. Why would you hide anything? That's that's the, that's the that's the point of having this connection is that like you don't need to do that. You know that sort of like no. defeats the purpose. Yeah, we won't be on like uh, we won't play devil's advocate to one another, but we can both see it because you know we both deal with human beings. What happens then? is that there are parts that people feel like they have to keep secret because they sure. feel like it's going to be, you know, jarring to this other person in some mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I have one person in my life, I'm not going to say who, but, you know, he and I have gotten to the point where we can talk about this stuff now. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, there's things I probably would say, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to hurt this other person, Right. Right. So it's a, it, and in that sense, and I think Esther Perel gets this in that sense, it's a, it's a sign of respect, right? You no, know? it's a sign of like caring and love and respect, you know, that the person doesn't want to hurt this other person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a deep, it's a deep sign of love. Well, this really. is why, but that's complicated, right? It's not simple. And, and you know, she's coming from this Freudian take and that's the whole thing. There has to be this complexity. This is why they sell so much perfume because if people would just tell people you stink, you know, <laughs> And then they would... <laughs> or you have a booger coming out of your nose before the podcast starts <laughs> you know it's got to be honest no but i think you're but actually eric if we go back to our um yeah our, our reich episodes the first ones yeah. on repression right and the yeah, manifestations yeah. of repression that even if i think what you're saying is that even if somebody is being completely unabashedly open as best they can the act of living breeds repression over something, you know? Yeah. And therefore the sort of annals of one's inner psyche. And I like to use that word annals, by the way, Uh, the, the, the annals of one's inner psyche could, if they create, you know, sort of like hesitation or fear within the person who is experiencing them, then there inherently is probably a hesitation to share that with the other person in fear of that person also having hesitation about their oh, mind state. Yeah, that makes sense. There's kind of a dual feedback thing here. I'm having yeah. these doubts. Maybe this other person is having these doubts. Yes. You know, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I think I think her point is that this is a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sense that, like, if you had, if you married, you know, uh, Lord, whatever in england you had a nice piece of property you weren't worrying about this question you're like there wasn't there wasn't necessarily this expectation of some you know uh much more romantic idealism within how people were thinking about these things and it's here now so i guess that's what i guess you're getting to the heart of what she's saying and i guess we gotta stop because you gotta you gotta you gotta bounce but the whole idea of like we'll pick up on the rest of her stuff next week it's interesting and it does lead into what we're you know like our whole idea of what we're trying to do here but yeah, the whole the thing of like uh, it create it's potentially you know it, it's a weird thing. It, you know this. Her point is that it creates this feeling of like doubt in people. Am I the one? Am I the one for this person? You know mm-hmm. that thing that she's trying to bring up. So, anyways, yeah, seem like a place to stop for you. You got something else you want? Yeah, to say no, no. I mean, I I think that that's an interesting. I guess I've never really. That seems like that would put a lot I of thought undue... about it in those words, right? I had never in those words. It's interesting, right? Yeah, but that just seems like that would put a lot of pressure on somebody, you know, to you know. And I feel like that's probably only gonna. I feel like that would weigh heavily on more on one partner than another. 
you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to guess more often than not, it's the it's the feminine role, you know, regardless of who's taking that feminine role, even if it's a, ma- you know, a male person taking on a more, you know, whatever, forget the- Yeah, I forget, really frame those questions, right? Right, right. forget yeah. the gender specific aspects of it, but who, even a man, even, a, you know, a heterosexual male who is taking on the more feminine role, which happens all the time and is totally fine, you know, but would um, my assumption is that they would, they might take on that responsibility a little bit more, you know, to try and work a little bit harder to do the, do more of the little things to be more invested or involved and not necessarily out of the place of like, here's how I show what my, my love, but maybe out of like, I hope that I am helping this person to trust me further that they made the right decision. You know, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, per poetic way of describing it is it used to be until death to us part. It used to be, you know, um, one person for life. It's not necessarily like that anymore, you know, right. but supposed to, when she talks about it, and I think she probably has like a rich clientele, to be honest, you know, I think she's in New York and Manhattan and stuff. Mm. We can consider that a little bit more next week. But, you know, like if it's not a love match, people are maybe disinclined to stay, right? Right. If the love isn't there, then, you know, and then you're in that Reich thing we were talking about. Then you are in that, like, more like serial monogamy mode, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Anyways, okay, this is cool. I think she thought she's thought-provoking, right? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this hits to a very deep chord, I think, for most people, as people are generally in these types of relationships, for the most part. Of course, we'll, we're going to get into, you know, the different relationship dynamics moving forward here. But this is... 90 percent yeah probably even more so i think i looked right. at the stats at some point in the states it's probably like 98 or something so probably you know i mean we all know people who are maybe outside of this but more that are in actually and so you know like we try and do it's like how do you consciously take all as many aspects as you can find in your life that are influencing your time your energy your mind your love your resources and you know, either accept them consciously, right? Because not everything is broken, quote unquote broken. Yeah. Um, and if and if you are not wanting to accept them, then how do you reprogram? But you know, the first state, the first step is recognition. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. as we go through this, the hope is to like, okay, here's a thing. Do I recognize this as a thing? If not, okay, well then here it is. And now what? Are you okay with it? If it bothers you, maybe it's maybe it's pushing on something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for me and like wanting to do this, and this is a little bit more like uh, my love child or something, right? Don't we both cared a lot, <clears throat> but you know, we got our passions. <clears throat> and for, for me, it was just the acknowledgement of like, uh, what's going to influence you more than your loves and your relationships. It's right. hard to say what's going to affect you more. Probably nothing right. really. Right. Your partners like and your kids. About your work. Your Yeah. Uh, family and kids and those are love relationships too absolutely tied yeah this is the thing that's going to really affect you in very deep ways so if your goal is to be you know for me you know my goal is to be a zen Taoist, tantric buddhist person and so i have to think about what that means in the context of you know these questions which is what we're trying to do here in an honest honest way yeah thanks esther thanks esther thanks (laughs) yeah yeah Okay, cool. I guess we'll pick up on it next week. We shall. We shall. Well, my friend, as always, thank you so much for yep. being here and doing the thing uh, to our audience. Thank you so much for listening and 
sharing and commenting, whether it be uh, via email at ginandtantra at gmail.com or in the YouTube link or, or I'm sorry, video or on uh, was it Instagram at Gin and Tantra or, if, you know, you're a friend of mine on Facebook or you want to be, you could know my name. It's Daniel Domolechny as it's listed on the description of this podcast and all the various platforms that it's on. Uh, you know, hit us up, do your thing. We appreciate the feedback and the love and the hate and whatever, you know, it's all good. We, we're open to have discussion. You know, we're definitely not perfect, but uh, we're trying our best. So, you know, gratitude for those who uh, find usefulness in the work that we're doing. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. I want you to get Together. I want you to get together.